have your Bibles open with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy. If you don't have your own Bible, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. While you're turning there, we need to review for just a few minutes. Some of you are joining this series already in progress. For the last year and several months, we have been camped out with God and Moses and the people of Israel on the plains of Moab. We left them there for a few weeks to take a break for Advent, but we're going to rejoin them this morning. And we need to remember that big changes are in store for God's people. Dramatic changes. And we all know how scary those can be in our lives. A new location, a new job, a new relationship status. Change is what's ahead for these people. And so from their campsite that's 50 miles long and 30 feet wide, 30 miles wide and, and from an elevation of 3,000 to 4,500 feet above the Dead Sea, they can look over the Jordan River and they can see there the promised land, the land that God is giving to them. Big changes are coming for them. These people together as a group and their ancestors have been slaves for centuries. The past 40 years, they've traveled as a group wandering around in the desert. That's all about to change. Once they cross the Jordan, this group has to disperse. They're going to live in different cities and different villages. A big change for them. God's been providing for them miraculously as they wander around in the desert. You know the story of the manna. That's all about to change. When they enter the promised land, they're going to have to provide for themselves, plant their own fields, tend their own vineyards. Everything they've ever known about life is going to change. They've either been slaves or nomads. That's all they know. And now they're going to enter the promised land. And instead of roving and moving around from place to place, God is planting them permanently in one place. That's a big change. How will they manage that change? How do you and I manage change in our lives? The book of Deuteronomy, in a sense, is all about managing change. Through a series of sermons that God inspires Moses to preach, he prepares his people for this transition into the new place, the promised land, so that in that new place they can thrive and flourish and prosper, so that in that new place they can be the people that God has called them to be and do the things that God has called them to do, so that in that place they can have an impact on all the nations around them. We have those same goals here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. When the Lord allowed us or made provision for us to buy these buildings two years ago, and the further we get away from that time, the more miraculous it seems to me. But we believe that it was God's way of planting us here in the heart of the city of Charleston so that in this place we might be a gospel presence. We were no longer what we had always been throughout our history, renters. (laughs) We were no longer temporary. We no longer had one eye on this place and one eye open for another location so that when these buildings sold, we would have a new place to go. Big change for us. God planted us here on purpose. We want to manage that change well. Planted in this place, how will we thrive? How will we prosper? How will we flourish? 
Those are the questions we ask ourselves. How we have an impact on this city? How we have an impact on the world around us? We want to know the answers to those questions. And so we've been looking for them in the Word of God, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy. And that's why we return to it this morning. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 11. So if you have your Bible open, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the Word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you, were, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It's a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to the end. So, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, Then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he'll shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we pray week after week that you would fulfill your promise to add your blessing, to pour out your blessing on this reading and hearing of your word, where your word is bread to us, and it's the bread of life. And so I pray now that your spirit would feed us, nurture our souls, grow us up through the truth of your word. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. If you and I as individuals and we as a church are going to grow and thrive and prosper here in this place, we as a church and individuals are going to manage change well in our life, then we have to know the character of God, what he's like. Most importantly, we have to know that God is for us. God is for us. We've got to know that up here and believe it right here. That's the character of God. He is for us. Look with me in verse 8. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today. The word therefore is therefore the purpose of giving God's people a reason why they should obey. And it refers back to the seven verses that come before us. 
Moses, in preaching those verses, is doing what we're doing right now. He points the people of God back to the person of God and his character, what he's like. Look in verse 2. God was good and gracious enough to reveal to his people his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. Verses 3 and 4, God was good enough and he was gracious enough to use his mighty power to accomplish the release of his people. Release from the tyranny and the slavery of Egypt. Release from Pharaoh and his attempts to keep God's people from worshiping him. Verse 6, God was good enough and gracious enough to use his miraculous power to protect his people even from those on the inside within the community of faith who sought to turn them away from God. Verse 7, Your own eyes saw that the Lord, all these great things the Lord has done. God is good enough. God was gracious enough. God was powerful enough to deliver His people and to protect them. Therefore, says verse 8, Observe all the commands that come from this good and gracious and powerful God who acted on your behalf because of His great love for you. Always, always, we're to be looking at the character of God. Because the more you and I know God, the more we know God, the less trouble we have obeying Him. I believe that with all my heart. The more you and I know God and what He's like and His character, the less trouble we have obeying Him. Did you ever play the game of uncle? Uncle, you know, you lace your fingers in the fingers of another person and you try to bend each other's fingers back, right? And when you're losing the game, your fingers are being bent back further and further and you might eventually end up on your knees. And when the pain is so great, what do you say? Uncle! You know, whatever form that game may take in your life. You know, when we don't know the character of God, We don't know the character of God. It's easy for us to think of our spiritual life as a game of uncle. You know, God is trying to break us. God is trying to cause us pain. God is trying to spoil all of our fun. And so our obedience is done begrudgingly. How little we know the character of God. You know, Jesus saw that man in the synagogue with the shriveled hand. Jesus knew it was the Sabbath. Jesus knew the Pharisees said it was not lawful to heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus was full of grace and compassion. So he said to that man, stick out your hand. And he healed the man. And then he had to flee because he knew the Pharisees would try to kill him for what he had just done. But he couldn't get very far because people followed him wherever he went. And scripture says that he healed all the sicknesses of those who followed him. And that all of that was fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah had spoken about the one God would send. Reflect with the heart of God, the one who's coming. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So how can we look in the face of this one and see our spiritual lives as a game of uncle? God's goal is not to break us. It's not to snuff us out. His goal is to heal us. His goal is to give us hope. His goal is to see his people flourish. And that that smoldering wick 
would flame into a bright light. The avenue toward that hope and toward that healing is through obedience. And so when we're looking at the character of God, we understand that what he requires of us is good for us. What God requires of you and me, it's good for us. And when you go to the word of God, as we should do on a regular basis, and remind ourselves of who God is, when we aren't satisfied with hearsay, you know, what we have heard about God, when we're not satisfied with the little bit of information that we have about him, but when we are constantly getting to know him better, then obedience becomes easier for us. And what was true for the people of Israel is true for you and me this morning. God's power is going to work on our behalf to deliver us from the bondage and the slavery of sin. God's power is going to work on our behalf to protect us from the enemy, any enemy within or without that seeks us, seeks to pull us away from God. Because as Jesus said, he has come that you and I might have life and have it abundantly. God is on our side. God wants us to win. And that's the part of his character I want us to see so clearly in these verses. When you were in school, did you ever have a teacher that you knew was not for you? It was always trying to trick you or trap you, usually on a test. Did anybody have a teacher like that? Come on. Maybe I had them all. I remember one occasion when our entire class did very poorly, very poorly on a test. The overachievers in the class, we decided that, you know, this test was completely unfair. The, the teacher had tested on information that we didn't know. And so what did we do? We searched our textbook. We searched our class notes, and we couldn't find that inf- information anywhere. And so armed with this discovery, <laughs> we went to this hard-nosed teacher. And we said, we can't find this information from this test anywhere. Teacher's response, without looking up, look at the footnote at the bottom of page whatever, 197, 200, 202. So we did. And in several obscure places, In tiny little footnotes at the bottom of the page, there was the information. So we knew that there would be no retesting. We knew there would be no grade change. We knew that the teacher whose goal in life was to destroy our GPAs had won again. And his message to us was this. I don't want you to get it. I don't want you to understand. I want you to fail. I'm not going to explain the information. I'm not even going to tell you where the information is because I hope you miss it. God doesn't go to the footnotes at the bottom of the page. He doesn't seek to trick us. If Deuteronomy 11 says anything else, if God speaks through it, he shouts in this chapter, I want you to get it. I want you to understand. I want you to succeed. So look how much he wants us to get it. Verse 1. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his degrees, his laws, and his commands always. Verse 8. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today. Verse 11. Faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today. Verse 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Verse 19, teach them to your children. Verse 20, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Verse 22, carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow. 
to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him. Verse 32, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I'm setting before you today. Okay? Observe, obey, fix, tie, bind, teach, write, keep, follow. Observe, obey, fix, tie, bind, teach, write, keep, follow. (laughs) Clearly, God wants us to get his message. Clearly, God wants his people to understand how important obedience is. It's the way to thrive and flourish wherever we are. Obedience to the word of God is the way to manage change whenever those changes come up in our lives, even unexpectedly. Deuteronomy is God's way to make sure we R.I.P. Rest in peace. Deuteronomy 11 is God's way to make sure that you and I rest in peace. Educators talk about three acts that help memory and facilitate learning. Repetition, R. Imagery, I. Patterns, peace. Uh, what are they? Pattern, P, patterns. You got it? So repetition, imagery, and patterns. See, we've discovered what God already knows about us. Psalm 103 says that he knows how we are formed. God knows our frames and he knows what we need. And so God employs these three actions that he knows we need so that we get it. Repetition. We already looked at that. The repetition in all these verses, observe, obey, fix, tie, teach. We saw it over and over again. In her book, The Source for Learning and Memory Strategies, educational therapist and author Regina G. Richards writes, Repetition and rehearsal of information enhance a process called consolidation. The process by which memories are moved from temporary storage to a more permanent storage in the cortex of the brain. Repetition moves it from temporary to permanent. God discovered, we discovered what God already knew. Repetition is important, and so God repeats himself over and over again, not to bore us, but because he knows we need the repetition. It's the only way for us to get it. Now, evangelical Christians don't like repetition. Really, we don't. Oh, give me something new. Teach me something, some deep truth. Conference, conference, conference. We're always looking for something new. When in reality, God is kind of repeating the same things over and over to us so that we get it. Here's another quote. This is from Thomas Smith. In 1885, he wrote a book, A God Called Successful Advertising. 1885, and they're still quoting him today. The first time people look at any given ad, they don't even notice it. The second time, I mean, they don't even see it. The second time, they don't notice it. The third time, they're aware it's there. The fourth time, they have a fleeting sense that they've seen it somewhere before. The fifth time, they actually read the ad. The sixth time, they thumb their nose at it. The seventh time, they start to get a little irritated with it, like you're doing with me right now. The eighth time, they start to think, here's that confounded ad again. The ninth ninth time, they start to wonder if they're missing out on something. The tenth time, they ask their friends and neighbors if they've ever tried the product. The eleventh time, they wonder how the company is paying for all these ads. The twelfth time, they start to think that it must be a good product. The thirteenth time, they start to feel the product has value. The 14th time, they start to remember wanting a product exactly like this for a long time. The 15th time, they start to yearn for it. 
but they can't afford to buy it. The 16th time they accept the fact that they will buy it sometime in the future. The 17th time they make a note to buy the product. The 18th time they curse their poverty for not allowing them to buy this terrific product. The 19th time they count their money very carefully. And the 20th time a prospect sees the ad, they buy what is offering. 20 times. The advertising world knows that. We need repetition. So God repeats himself. Because he is so good, he's so gracious, and he wants us to get it. We've got to have the information repeated over and over if we're going to own it, so God repeats himself. Take your Bible. Do you have it in your hand? Let me see it. Turn to Psalm 119. Everybody, turn to Psalm 119. See, you have one Psalm 119 open? Psalm 19 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. 176 verses. Psalm 19, the longest one. Talk about repetition. In every one of the 176 verses, but perhaps three, God's Word is mentioned somewhere. It's either called Word, Truth, Precept, Command, Statute, Promise. Now look how it's designed. This is what God has done for us. 22 sections. Each section begins with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Those are the headings. Each of the eight verses in each of those 22 sections begins with a word that begins with that letter. All of it is about the Word of God. Talk about repetition. This is how much God wants us to get it. He says it over and over again, and He gives us this mnemonic device, how to remember it. The letters of the alphabet each verse beginning with one of those letters. It is amazing. God is good. You can shut Psalm 119 now. Why don't you see it for yourself? He's good. He's gracious. He wants us to get it. He repeats himself over and over. But, as we know, repetition can become boring, right? You say the same thing. You do the same thing over and over. Your mind becomes numb. And so we need something else. What do we need? We need imagery. That's the I in rest in peace, R-I-P, imagery. A picture is worth a thousand words. And so God gives us pictures to remember that he loves us, to remind us he loves us, and he's good and he's gracious and he wants us to get it. Look in verse 18. Tie my words as symbols on your hand. Now, can you imagine if you had that picture? That God's word, here it is, tied to my hand. What a difference it would make in your life, what your hand reached out to do or who your hand reached out to touch if the Word of God were bound to it. If the Word of God were bound to your forehead and you could feel the Word of God there, you look around and you see the Word of God bound to the foreheads of other people. Imagine the impact that would have on the thoughts that you allowed into your mind and the thoughts upon which you would dwell. God is good. God is gracious. He wants us to get it. The tabernacle that had traveled with God's people, these 40 years of wandering in the desert, every part of it was a picture. The the, the brilliant colors, uh, the tapestries, the jewels, every part of it, the fresh baked bread that they could smell every day. It was a reminder of God's presence with them. It's all pictures so that God's people would get it. What other creative Things does God use in his repetition so that we get it. How about singing? It's fun to learn something by song, isn't it? 
So God says in Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Singing makes repetition fun, doesn't it? Holy, holy, holy. That's right. Three times holy. God is three times holy. I love singing that song. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou How great thou You, You know that God is great. You've just said it twice. Sing to the Lord. God is great. See this pulpit here? This pulpit? It's supposed to be a visual reminder to us of the importance of the Word of God. David writes in Psalm 138, I bow down toward your holy temple. I give you thanks. I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. And so people stand here as a visual demonstration of the word of God that's read from this place. The word of God that's preached from this place is preeminent over all things in our lives. It's to remind us that nothing is to compete with this word and that nothing can compare with it. God is good. God is gracious. He wants us to get it. And so he repeats himself. He gives us images, pictures to remind us of the truth and the importance of our obedience. And then finally, we come to the P, resting in peace with God. It stands for patterns. Once again, we've discovered what God already knew. The brain seeks meaning through patterns. Quote another. You know, you feel like you have to quote a scholar or somebody or nobody listens to you. So I'm doing it. This is Eric Jensen. Listen to who he is. I mean, really, he's probably a great guy. Uh, he is a member of the Society for Neuroscience and the New York Academy of Sciences. He was founder of the Learning Brain Expo and has trained educators uh, worldwide. He authored Teaching with the Brain in Mind, Brain-Based Learning, Enriching the Brain, and 25 other books. Okay, so I guess he knows what he's talking about. So in his book, Super Teacher, he writes this. Since our thinking cap is strongly influenced by patterns, patterns, not facts, remembering information is maximized when it is provided in contextual event-oriented situations, which include motor learning, location changes, music, rhythm, novelty. We do poorly when we piecemeal learning into linear sequential facts and other out-of-context information lists. We need patterns in our life. Now, God already knows that. So what does he say to us in verses 18 and verse 19? Teach them his truth to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Look, these are the patterns of life. These are the rhythms of life listed right here. And God is saying that he should be present. His word should be present and central to every pattern in your life, every rhythm of your life. When you get up in the morning, the word of God. When you go to bed at night, the Word of God. You're sitting at home, hanging out with your family, the Word of God. As you walk along the way, 
You come here, you go there, coming and going, the Word of God. The Word of God is to be written on the doorframe of your house and on your gates, which you pass through whenever you're going somewhere and you return through that same door. Are you going to a party? You pass through the Word of God on your way to that party. You pass through the Word of God written on your door when you return from that party. Because the Word of God is to have an impact on that rhythm of your life, your party life, your social life, your recreational life. Maybe you're going to a funeral. You pass through your door on the way to your, the funeral. You return through the door on the way back from the return from the funeral because the Word of God is to have an impact on our emotional lives. The joys, the sorrows, the grief, the suffering. You go into work. That routine, sometimes mundane thing that we do day in and day out. You pass through the Word of God. As you leave your house, you come back to that door when you return. The Word of God is to have an impact on that routine pattern or rhythm to our lives. Whatever the pattern is, whatever the rhythm is, it's clear that God wants you to go through it with His Word. It's convicting, isn't it? When you rise, when you sit, go to bed, we walk on our door parent frames, on our gate frames. It's clear from these verses that God wants His Word to have a primary place in the lives of His people. And so we have to stop this morning and ask the question of ourselves. What place does God's Word have in your life? And obedience to it. On a scale of 1 to 10, If 10 represents what we read here in Deuteronomy, all these places the Word of God is to be, if that represents the highest place of God's Word in your life and one represents the lowest, where are you? 1 to 10 in relation to God's Word and obedience to it. If we want to thrive as individuals, we want to thrive and flourish as a church in this place where God has managed, uh, has placed us, How do we anticipate that we'll be able to do that if we're not closely connected to God's Word? Knowing it so well that we can follow it and obey it. Every part of life is included in these verses in Deuteronomy. Every part of life, the Word of God, must be concluded. included. We, of course, are New Testament believers. We have Jesus, we know Jesus, we love Him. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. See, in Christ, the person of Jesus, we find the fulfillment of the Word of God. The Word of God, Scripture, finds its fullest meaning when we see it through the person of Christ. It's the presence of Christ and His Spirit within us as we come to the Word of God that gives us understanding. He is God's rest in peace. Jesus is God's rest in peace for us. Think about it. Repetition. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Imagery, He is God himself 
who took on flesh so that we could see Him. Scripture says, in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form, repetition, imagery, patterns. Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And as the old hymn says, and He walks with me along the way. He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. So in Christ, we see the fulfillment of the written Word of God. In Christ, God demonstrates His goodwill toward us. In Jesus, God demonstrates His grace to us. In Jesus, God has made a way for us. Clearly, then, God is for us, not against us. That's what we must remember as we seek God to to thrive and, and to flourish and to manage the change that comes to our lives. What are we going to do to relate to the Word of God better so that we may obey better? What changes do you have to make in your life so that the Word of God takes its place as preeminent over all things? What changes do you need to make so that you live a life of better obedience? Whatever those changes may be, and they'll be different from all, for all of us, The gain for you, the blessing for you, and for the kingdom of God will be worth it if we'll make them. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you as we come away from these verses in Deuteronomy that it's so clear as we read them how much you love us, how much you're for us, how much you want us to understand who you are, how much you want us to thrive and flourish. And that's why you bother to repeat yourself, to tell us over and over again, this is the way, this is the way, this is the truth. Walk in it. Where the thing that we want for our lives, the thing that we want for our churches is found here. You tell us how it is we can thrive, how it is we can flourish, how it is we can prosper spiritually. It's through your word and obedience to it. Lord, it's so clear from these verses that there's no part of our lives in which your word should not take a central place. Lord, we categorize it. Sunday morning, community group, perhaps. But the other patterns of our lives, the other rhythms of our lives, Lord, there's often not much place for your truth and your word in those places because... In some way, we feel like it hampers or hinders. In some way, we we, we think, oh, Lord, you wouldn't understand this part of my life. What a lie we believe, Lord, if we ever think that's the truth. In all areas of our life, in every pattern, in every rhythm, you belong there. Your word belongs there. As first, supreme, preeminent over all things. And so now, Lord, what we need to do, what I need to do, and everyone here, needs to do. We have to examine our hearts, examine our lives, examine our behavior. Where are we putting your word? And Lord, if it's not in the place that you have uh, described for us to put it, I pray that your spirit would give us boldness and conviction to make those changes. So you speak to us, so that we listen, so that we're changed, and so that the world is changed through us. Pray that you would accomplish these things. In Jesus' name, amen.